Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bourne. Look, we are back in season four, and as you know, my new book is out, Set It On Fire, The Art of Innovation. Head over to setitonfire.co and check it out now. Well, today, my guest is Ellie Packhouse. Ellie is a serial entrepreneur, and he's a two-time founder, so we're going to talk about that a lot today. And he started his first company um, with his brother. We're going to get into that company. But then from there, um, in 2017, he partnered with some folks and started another company called InstaFloss. We're going to get into both of those founding stories today. And then after five years of research and development, they are ready to uh, enter the world. So I'm so excited to talk to you, Ellie. We're going to jump in and, and hear a little bit about your founding background. So welcome. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here and I'm excited to talk as much as we can. Awesome. Well, let's let's start out with your first company. Tell us what it was, what you guys set out to do, and then tell us about your exit there. Right. So my first company, the idea actually came from my brother. He's a musician and he was spending a lot of time at home playing by himself and he didn't have a, a drummer to play with. And so he wanted a beat to accompany his music. So he looked up drum machines, but they were all like tabletop devices. You have to use your hand. You can't, you know, play those and the guitar at the same time, um, which, you know, is what he wanted to do. And so we started looking around and nothing like this existed. And we asked all the musicians that we knew like, Hey, uh, do you know if anything like this exists? And they were like, no, but when you find out, let me know because I want one. Okay. And, th and that was the, the first clue. We we're like, Oh, maybe we should just make this. So we started making this, uh, eventually we, we had a prototype. It worked. Musicians loved it. We went on to Kickstarter. Uh, we put up a video. Uh, we broke a record for the most raised in that category. And uh, that's what got me to drop out of college <laughs> and uh, pursue that full time. And uh, we then came out with eight additional products, all starting from that. So talk to me about your background. When you said, hey, let's just do this. Like, Do you have a background in development? Like, What is your background that you were able to say, let's do this? Uh, my background is being literate. I think <laughs> I think that is perhaps the greatest superpower anybody can have. Uh, like, okay, yes, like I, I was studying like physics in college. You know, I had certain ability to you know, you know, uh, read and understand certain things. But I think in order to get those abilities, that the most basic basic skill you need is to be able to read. And I think if you can do that, uh, if you are willing to put in the time and the work, you can learn almost anything. Well, I love that because I think we underestimate the power of of just trying to figure it out, right? Um, mm -hmm. We kind of feel like we have to have uh, all the answers through studies or a book or whatever, but it sounds like you just did research, you rolled your sleeves up and you just figured it out. So talk to me about these different products that you, you all created. How did you decide what you were going to build you know, first, second, third after that drum machine? Right. I mean, that's a, that's a great question. Um, often like which product you make depends on so many variables. Like, first of all, what, what ideas do you have, right? Which of your ideas are actually good? What is the demand for them? Yeah. And then what do you have the capability to create? Because you might have an idea for something that is super awesome. Everybody loves, 
but you just know that this is going to be a long development project. It's going to cost a lot of money. You don't really have a lot of money. Uh, but there's another product and maybe it's not as good, but you know, it will make money, but you can turn it out really quick. <laughs> so those are all, those are all things that have to come, uh, into the decision-making process. So the, the products we made were things that stemmed from musicians playing by themselves because that was our core audience. Mm -hmm. And we, we came out with a looper. We came out with a cable uh, winding devices. We came out with MIDI controls. There's also some technical stuff that unless you're a musician probably won't interest you. Um, and then about five years ago, I was flossing with my brother. We were like late for something. We're like, there's got to be something that could you know do this quicker. <laughs> and that's when I started thinking about like, instead of coming up with products for 1%, like 10% of the population plays any sort of instrument, 10% yeah. of those buy a gear and 10% of the good, those would be interested in our gears. So and we're talking about a fraction of a percent in total market. Like everybody has teeth. <laughs> everybody ought to floss. Everybody wants to. Right. If this could be resolved in an effective manner, obviously the, the quickest floss is not flossing. Uh, that doesn't count. Uh, if this could be uh, solved, that would be bigger than anything we're doing here. And you're putting our hearts and souls into these products. But I knew that this was going to be the big one. So I got obsessed and I started, again, uh, the superpowers literacy. <laughs> I, I started reading um, textbooks on like, you know, what is flossing? What, what's the research out there? What is effective? What are the methods, et cetera? Mm -hmm. And that took me down a whole rabbit hole that led to another company and to, to where we are today. All right. So I have to just ask a random question. So as you're in this rabbit hole learning about flossing, mm -hmm. do you like discover anything that maybe disturbed you about flossing? Like, do people just not floss as much as they need to? I have a friend that goes to the dentist more often because she refuses to floss. Like, what did you see down that rabbit hole? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a few things that are, that are actually quite fascinating down that rabbit hole. Um, so the, actually the first is just like a fun piece of trivia. Fact. Uh, let's start from the very beginning. How long have we been flossing? The earliest evidence we have for, uh, flossing is actually 1.8 million years old, older than our own species. Uh, we could tell because there are certain grooves on teeth that we could tell was used from plant fibers to scrape. So people were flossing. Well, yeah people like proto-humans were flossing well before our species even existed. Um, however, the stats these days, and I only can find stats from the United States because uh, we have, uh, at least that's the data I was able to find, 70% of people regularly skip flossing to the point where they like don't floss. Uh, that is an absurdly large number. Mm -hmm. And when you pair this with a few other bits of information, the fact that not flossing is correlated with all sorts of uh, health issues, pretty much anything that that is worsened by inflammation, uh, because when you don't floss, uh, inflammation occurs in your gums. Inflammation then enters your bloodstream, and everything's connected uh, via the cardiovascular system. So it worsens, you know, cases of arthritis. It worsens cases of Alzheimer's. It worsens cases of cardiac arrest, even erectile dysfunction, which is like because it's all a pulmonary uh, cardiovascular system. So it makes everything worse. If you don't floss, it costs you a lot of money if you don't floss, but so many people don't. And uh, the number one reason why they don't when, when the research asks, why don't you floss? The number one reason is that it just takes too long. So if we could solve that mm -hmm. while also being effective, and if we could also be painless at the same time, uh, we knew we would have a winner. So talk to me a little bit about the process of bringing this invention to light. So you had that aha moment, 
And then obviously it's been a it's been a process ever since that aha moment. Talk to me a little bit about how that how did you move from concept or thought or just say, hmm, I wonder all the way through to starting to prototype, things like that. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that probably one of the biggest misconceptions about inventing products is that the aha moment is the thing, right? To me, the aha moment's the easiest part, yeah. right? The, like the aha moment is I have a problem. Wouldn't it be nice if like this solved it? You know, like, oh, if there was just something that like flossed my teeth for me or showered for me or, you know, baked all my food, you know, whatever. That's easy. You know, everybody has problems. The the hard part, which is not a single moment, but rather a continuous process that can take years, has taken years in our case, is how do you get it to work? So I would say after the first aha moment is, well, what is the, the basic uh, fundamental mechanism that you want to use? So I was doing a lot of research and in the last, I think I've read like everything published on flossing in the last 50 years that I could find. And water flossing is a lot more effective than string flossing because water molecules can get deeper underneath the gums, they can clean 360, they could remove more plaque, et cetera. However, uh, water flossing devices, which have been on the market since the 60s, take even longer than strict. So they take the number one complaint and they make it worse. Mm -hmm. So I knew that if we could use water jets, we would have a more effective floss and also a painless floss uh, because it's adjustable. The question is, how do you get it to be done in 10 seconds? Mm -hmm. So the first thought was like, okay, let's design a mouth guard. It's the first thing you think of, goes over your teeth and does it all at once. That has a number of problems. Uh, the first was discovered that you'd have to make a custom one for each person, and then you'd have probably have like a $900 product, and uh, that's not um, accessible to most people. The second thing is that if you used a mouth guard, you wouldn't actually be able to clean 360 degrees underneath the gum line around each tooth, which is one of the advantages of water flossing. So we would make something more expensive while making it less effective because a mouth guard would only be able to clean between the teeth. So eventually the like big breakthrough moment there was we don't need the jets to be static we could move the jets in your yeah. mouth and so we eventually came up with an h-shaped device the top part of h goes over the top the bottom part of h goes over the bottom water jets come from all four quadrants of the h it rotates from one side of your mouth to the other and that's how we're able to clean 360 degrees around each tooth painlessly in 10 seconds wow. so that was only the first aha mechanical part, right? Yeah. Then you have to go to, well, does it actually work effectively, mm -hmm. right? And that's a part where it's like, okay, I believe in the superpower of literacy, but only to a certain extent. Uh, I really feel at this point, now that we have a concept, we should bring in real experts. So I teamed up with Dr. Anna Mascarenhas, who's the uh, chair of the American Dental Association Council of Scientific Affairs. Essentially, she like monitors all science on like the current state of dental. And so I managed to actually get appointments there. I was kind of surprised. And I was like, this is what I want to make. How do I know? How do I test it? What do I do? What sort of modifications do you think are necessary? And she immediately saw the value. She's like, okay, this can really work. This can make it not only more efficacious, which is how well it works in the lab, but more effective, which is how well it works in real life. Because if you do something, if something's 100% efficacious, but it's annoying and you don't do it, it's 0% effective. Yeah. So um, not only would it be more efficacious, but also effective. So she was excited about that. And so it led us on a long journey of scientific validation where the first thing we did was actually flossing pigs. Uh, we would. Uh, so awesome. I'm sorry. That's amazing. 
Uh, it was actually pretty pretty nasty. Uh, not live not live pigs because we had to do um, dissections to see how much uh, plaque we were removing underneath the gums. We would have these pig heads that we would get from butchers, and then we would floss them uh, with the mechanism, and we would floss half of the of the mouth, and then we would cut away the gums, and we would look underneath, and we would compare the plaque uh, from one side to the other, we would see how much our penetration was. And so then, because just because we have jets coming from all sides doesn't mean that we solved it because we need to know how big are the jets, how far apart are they, you know, uh, et cetera. And so that was a whole process. And then we went into testing on humans. And then all these things require modifications for the device. And then we make these modifications and then we go into manufacturing. And of course, that's when COVID hits. And <laughs> uh, manufacturing goes underway. So we had to like, constantly like redesign things based on supply chains. Mm -hmm. And now uh, we're finally here. I would say it's been a five-year journey, which is far longer than I thought it would ever be, far yeah. more expensive than I thought it would ever be, far more far more like hurdles to overcome. Yeah. And that's just how it goes. Uh, and now I'm actually in Guadalajara, Mexico right now, where we're manufacturing, overseeing the first production run, and our first unit should be out in June. Wow. So talk to me. This is so it's just really incredible to hear your journey and all the people you had to reach out to and all the things that you had to all the hoops you had to jump through. So talk to me about your distribution strategy now that you are, um, you know, you're manufacturing this product. How are you getting it out to consumers? How are you marketing it? How are you getting the word out? Right. So now we go into a bit of like, you know, the, the business side and, you know, what the strategy is. So, um, our production needs ramp up time, right? We can't just start by making a million units. We don't, first of all, we don't have the funding to make a million units at a time. And also you have to slowly ramp up production in order to make sure that, uh, things are coming out in accordance to your quality specifications. You know, the, the, the bigger you start, the more likely it is you'll, you'll make mistakes. So while we're quality, uh, sorry, uh, quantity limited, uh, we're going to start with a tiered up release. So first, we're going to start by selling exclusively on our website. Then we're going to move to third-party party e-commerce sites, such as Amazon, and et cetera, and then to dental partnerships and distribution. So the reason why we want to have a tiered release is twofold. One, we are quantity limited. So if we run out of quantity, we want to be selling at the highest margin. The second thing is that the closer you are to an, a, a um, channel you control, like your website, the more you can A-B test. So we can A-B test colors, we can A-B test messaging, we can see, do people care about the speed? Do they care about the painlessness? You know, uh, all these variables, you know, just financing important, uh, you know, uh, all these things. Once you, when you have a retail contract, you cannot change anything uh, without violating the contract. Mm -hmm. So we want to start uh, by getting as much data as you can, with as much experiments as you can before moving on to the next stage, because that way you can assure that the next stage, when you go into the stores, uh, you have the most effective messaging, you know precisely what works and doesn't work on customers, et cetera. So that's the two reasons why we have this tiered release. That's it's interesting to hear how you're doing that. And I agree, the closer you can be to the, the customer, the better, right? Because that's you, you're not going to get any data off of Amazon, but you're going to get a ton of data of your own if you're if you're able to test on your own website. Talk a little bit about the choice you made of how you fund in this as well. Like, you know, why did you go in the direction you went to fund um, this and the way you funded it? So there's a lot of advantages to... So 
for the audience listening, we crowdfunded uh, our company. Uh, we did two types of crowdfunding, actually. The first is product crowdfunding on companies like Kickstarter and Indiegogo, which is where you offer the product at a discount for people who pre-order it. So you give us money now because you believe in the project and you want to be the first to get it. And then it will deliver to you first right off the presses from the factory when we first create it. And big thank you for helping us make it. And then the second type of crowdfunding we did, which is equity crowdfunding, which is we offer shares in the company saying, if you invest in the company, um, you know, as low as people have get, people have invested a hundred dollars, people have invested, uh, like $25,000, you know, big variety of checks and, um, because they want, they want, uh, ownership stakes. So we did those two types of, uh, of, of crowdfundings. So the reason why we did this was to me, the idea, a floss in 10 seconds, an effective painless floss in 10 seconds is something that is such an accessible idea that uh, I knew it would be well received by the, the crowd, by the public. And so you get to skip a lot of the hurdles of going through traditional investment. Um, because when you try to go to traditional investment, the first thing you're going to say is, well, how do we know anybody wants it? Uh, how do you know there's uh, any demand? Sure, I think it's a good idea, but you don't really know. Therefore, there's so much uncertainty. You know, we're going to take over the majority of the company. We're going to get really bad terms. Uh, you know, we're going to, you know, to the point where, you know, you hear stories of founders getting kicked out of their own companies because yeah. the investors took over. Yeah. Um, however, if you go to the crowd and you're like, hey, do you, do you want this? And they're all like, yeah, we do. And if so much we're willing to give you money in advance. Uh, number one, you might not need to go to investors, mm -hmm. but number two, if you do go to investors, you could point to that and say like, Hey, look, it's actually, there's a lot of demand. People actually want it. So you're in a much uh, stronger position. So it just makes sense. Um, in so many, uh, for so many reasons, I would say the reasons why it wouldn't make sense for someone's, um, company would be if, uh, their idea wasn't like really like publicly accessible. So let's say you were doing something super specific that like the public wouldn't care about, um, then, you know, you might not be a good candidate for that. Or if honestly, if you don't have a good idea, <laughs> then you may go out and be really disappointed, uh, by, by your results. And there it would look, it would look, you know, it's a gamble because you would look really good if you succeed, you kind of prove the investors, right. And you might become uninvestable if you fail. So. But then again, that could be a good thing to know because maybe you shouldn't pursue that idea. Right. Before you sink thousands or even worse amount of dollars into something, it might be good to know what the customer thinks and if you're even kind of hitting a hitting a spot of demand for them in the first place. And I think I think that's a powerful thought. And I agree. I mean, I think that the way that you did that, you instantly saw, you know, that demand. So I want I'm curious, like, what were people saying about this as they were like learning about what you were doing. Was it curiosity? Was it questions? Was it just, wow? I mean, what did people think about this invention as you were crowdfunding? So, I mean, as with everything, there's a bell curve of responses. Um, the I would say that probably the majority are just like, oh my God, I need this all my life. Wear this, I hate flossing. Here's someone shut up and take my money, right? Um, I would say an another portion of the bell curve is definitely like, uh, this is probably vaporware. Like, there's no way this works. Like, it can't be true. Flossing in 10 seconds is ineffective. You have to floss for X number of, of I and mean, it's like, well, no, but if we use 12 jets, like we can make it much faster. You know, that's the whole point of this technology. But like some people like just can't wrap their head around it. 
which is important to know to see because then as you're trying to um what do you call it when you're trying to market and publicize your product when you see the objections people have you you know what you have to get at. yeah people people might say that's too fast there's no way it can be effective so you have to get ahead of that by saying like oh no no but here's the studies we've done and here's why it's fast it's not fast because we're skipping anything um so that was another part of it uh i would say and then another part of the bell curve which surprised me the most because maybe because i was so um you know involved for like five years making this is people some people just didn't get it they're like oh this is a water pick right <laughs> and it's like no well, sort of like it uses a water jet but water pick takes longer than flossing we do it in 10 seconds automatically like what part of those words don't you understand because <laughs> like, uh, it's new yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. But you can't you can't blame the customer for not understanding it. So what that um, notifies us is that we need to do better on messaging. And so you know we started A/B testing all sorts of messaging until we started getting a lower percentage of responses being like, "Oh, you're just selling me a water pick. Why why are you selling this? It already exists." It's like, and you know, so you tinker with your messaging until that question uh, minimizes or goes away, hopefully. And uh, that's, again, part of the power of A-B testing before you go into retail outlets, which is another whole reason for the tiered approach. Yeah, that's super um, interesting. I think it's important to just tease that out a little bit more of the fact that a lot of your objections is it can go into one of two ways, right? We say in sales all the time, like uh, we build our pitch decks off of Mm -hmm. objections, right? Like that's how you know how to tell the story of the product is sometimes where people are getting hung up and where they're getting confused. But also I loved how you talked about just the messaging factor and being able to test different types of messaging and seeing what's actually resonating with the customer, which is again, a brilliant way of helping, like you said, to lower that bell curve. There will always be, no matter what the product is, late adopters who want to see everyone else do it first and want to verify it's real and all the other things. But you know, when you're hitting a, a, a stride of a lot of people saying, hey, I'm confused, or is this real, or what is this really? It's, it's so helpful because then you can go in and adjust messaging to really address that. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> That's really cool. So, okay. Let's say that we're talking to somebody who is an entrepreneur or wants to be an entrepreneur. Um, what are what are some what is some advice that you would just have for them for all your learnings right you've done this uh, a couple times now so uh, I know you have some learnings under your belt of what has and hasn't worked um, what would you say even even in this um, invention that you that you're currently getting ready to release what would you say are some of your maybe top top three lesson learned yeah I mean that's uh, that's like quite the task to distill it into three things you know uh, I'll I'll do my best though. Um, I would say number one thing you really have to validate that you're solving a problem. You know, everything else, uh, you know, in entrepreneurship, uh, at least I'm coming from the perspective of, of product entrepreneurship, right? I'm only going to answer regarding that. Like, you know, I'm sure there's there's many other areas, but like I'm definitely not qualified. Um, so regarding creating products, you have to be solving a problem. If you're not solving a problem, then uh, fundamentally you're you're flawed from the get-go like you can't build like a giant castle on top of sand you know um so it doesn't matter all the rest of the details i could give you all the rest of the advice or uh, people smarter than me can give you even better advice and it just won't matter because you're not solving a, a real problem so you really have to really focus on that i think product first is is definitely true because you could always adjust your strategy you could always learn you could always become better you could even 
like hand it over to other people. Uh, but it's all fundamental in whether or not you're solving anything for the consumer. Um, the second thing I would say is who you partner with is incredibly important because even if you know you feel like you can learn anything or you do know anything, you have certain expertise, there's always something uh, that you don't see. And having someone else, especially with a perspective different from from your own. So if you're more of like an artist, you know, you need an engineer. You know, if you're an engineer, you need a salesperson. You know, if you're like a, a salesperson, maybe you need to talk to someone with, uh, you know, like who's got their head on the ground, like you know, like a like a realist. If you're a dreamer, you know, um, that really can prevent a lot of pitfalls because everybody has like their advantages, and you really want to take uh, advantage of those advantages, <laughs> but. Uh, I, I, everything has a pro and a con, like everything there, there, there's, there's no such thing as, as a pro without a con. So if, if you are a visionary, you're probably going to miss some, some bits of realism. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, so having partners like that, you know, whether they're co-founders or whether they're advisors or whether they're just your first employees, if you, you, know, you come to the point where you can have employees, um, that's uh, that's super valuable. So, like for example, in the case of Instaplus, I co-founded with Dr. Ralph Froud, who is you know far more talented uh, in engineering than I could ever be. Uh, you know, Dr. Anna Mascarenhas, who's a dental scientist. Like you know, as much as I've read the dental textbooks, like I am not a dental scientist. Therefore, we need a dental scientist on board. She you know, has been incredibly important the last five years. Uh, and without them, like if I was just like, no, I'm doing it all myself, like we would never even be talking right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the third thing I would say is you, kind of maybe the opposite is you might feel like you have to know something before continuing. People feel like I can't go into this business because I'm not qualified, because I don't know enough. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a, you know, whatever. Like, I don't know. You have like ideas for, you know, furniture or something. I'm not an art, you know, I'm not like a product designer, architect, whatever. Uh, I think that you have to believe in your ability to learn along the way, um, not just your ability, you have to actually do it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's super important because I feel like one thing that's holding a lot of people back is the the feeling that they don't know and they're correct that they don't know, right? But the truth is you will never know. Knowing is not important. Uh, the ability to learn is important, right? So anything you go into, you're going to be ignorant until you're done with it. Uh, so. <laughs> There's, there's no way to not be ignorant opinion. So I think that's completely normal. That's awesome. So this has been such an incredible conversation. Where can people learn more about your invention? Where can they learn more about you? So if you go to uh, instafloss.com, it's like an instant floss or like Instagram, but instafloss.com, uh, you'll be able to see everything. We have an incredibly detailed blog. We've been publishing at least once a month from the very beginning on everything of the, of the from when we had the earliest prototypes uh, to, you know, we actually engage the community of like which design direction they wanted every, every little update. And, and right now, a lot of our updates have been about manufacturing. So you can see a lot about that process. Uh, or, you know, if you want to just learn about the product or, or me or whatever, you go to, there's other parts of the website too, <laughs> but yeah, go to instafloss.com, uh, and you'll be able to see a lot more. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This was really, really interesting. Thank you so much for having me, Natalie. It's been a great conversation. Well, to our listeners, thank you for joining the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. And remember, don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform some. 
Thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership. And visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources. Hey, my new book is out, Set It on Fire, The Art of Innovation. Click on the link to learn more. And don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something.